Over the last couple of Wednesday nights, I've been sharing with you about relating to the Word of God and really, uh, you know, just how we uh, really approach it and even what it means to us. And so I've been sharing some thoughts with you along this line, and we're going to continue along this line tonight. And uh, so here in John chapter 1, oops, starting in verse 1, It says, in the beginning, uh, the Word already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. It says, He existed in the beginning with God. So here it already tells us that the Word is not just the Bible, but the Word is actually a person. And that's important to know and to realize. Uh, And it says in verse 3 that God created everything through Him and nothing was created except through Him. It says, the Word gave life to everything that was created. And His life brought light to everyone. It says, the light shines in darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. So really what's that telling us? And you know, most of you I'm sure know this, but obviously the Word here is referring to Christ. You know, and even, and I love how it says in verse 5 that the light shines in darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. In other words, the enemy can never have victory over Christ. Even when he thinks he does, he doesn't. Because he thought he did when he was in the grave. And yet the word tells us if he would have known what was about to happen, he would have never crucified Christ. Why? Because light shone and darkness lost. You know, that's the, the short and sweet version of it. And uh, it goes on and drop down to verse 14. And this is really kind of um, the focus, if you will, of these few messages, these last couple of Wednesdays that we've been together. And it says here in verse 14, So the Word became human, or became uh, the Word became flesh. And it says, And He made His home among us. And it says He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Other translations say this, is that He was full of grace and truth. And it says, and we have seen his glory and the glory of the Father, or the Father's one and only Son. Verse 16, it says, for from his abundance, whose abundance? Christ's abundance. We have received one gracious blessing after another. And so, you know, I mean, that's a great place to say amen. We're going to read that verse again just because I like it that much. It says, from Christ's abundance, we have received one gracious blessing after another. You know, that is God's plan for us doesn't mean that we don't have trials. It doesn't mean circumstances don't rise. But God's plan for us is one gracious blessing after another. Why does God's grace come? To empower, to equip, to strengthen us for what? To live this life. That's why God has sent His grace. And so I've been sharing with you over the last couple weeks is uh, that grace is God's ability in us to accomplish His purpose in our hearts and our lives. See, that's the way God works. He doesn't just give us the word as a commandment and say, good luck. Here's the to-do list. I'll give you a grade when you get here. That's not the way God works. He loves us too much to just do that to us. What he says is, not only am I going to tell you what to do, but I'm also going to give you the ability, the power, and even the want to, to do it. Now, see, that takes it a whole nother direction if you want because now it's not just on us to do the things that God's asking us to do or or even the decisions now he's saying look I will equip you and I you know another um, definition if you will of grace is that is this is that it would be supernatural ability you know I mean even just in the natural you know and I've talked about these a couple of these things here Um, you know the Bible says that I'm to love my wife as Christ does the church well there's days that I'm like, I don't have that in me today for whatever reason. 
right? But does that not mean that God's grace is not sufficient for me even in that moment? So that I can love her in light of what Scripture tells me to do as a husband, even when I don't maybe naturally feel like it? Is there not the grace of God that I can tap into to love her the way that I'm supposed to according to Scripture? Or to father my children in the right way that even when I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't have the answer. Is God's grace not available to me? And is it not available to you to be who God has called you to be? And that's why I say that I believe that, you know, and of course, you know, many of you have heard the definition is that grace is God's unmerited favor. Well, that's true. And God does bring favor into our life. But there's also a power that comes with grace. Grace is not just warm and fuzzy. And you have to remember that grace is a person, not just a thing. Why? Because what does the Bible say? It says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. He was full of ability. And even here it talks about that the Word or Jesus became human and He was full of grace and truth. You know, and so... The strongest concordance about this here where it talks about uh, specifically about the word grace. It says the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in in your life. You know, and, and there's times where I've had the Lord mainly through the scriptures challenge areas of my life, challenge areas of my heart. And it's not like, hey, this displeases me, but it's more of a desire in me that says, I don't want this in my life. Well, that desire would have never been in my heart had I not had the Word put into there first. See, the Word produces that want to to change. You know, and even to the degree of that, and I've been saying this almost every week, that if you you find yourself in a place needing more grace or more of God's ability in your life, the way to get more grace is to get more of the Word. Why? Because the Word produces the grace of God in our life. If Jesus was the Word made flesh and He was full of grace, grace comes through Christ. Well, if He's the Word, that's what we've got with us right now. And so if I need more of God's grace, that's how I bring about that grace in my life. I start engaging the Word of God. And and, and how I've been saying it is relating to God's Word properly. You know, and so there's all of these things that are really kind of a part of this. I shared with you uh, last week this verse, and I'll read it again, just because I I like the way that it says it. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. I'm going to read this out of the Amplified Bible, but it says, You welcomed the Word, not as the Word of mere men, as it, or, but as it truly is, the Word of God, which is effectually at work in you who believe. Now that's an important part right there, because... It's the Word that is working in you who believe in the Word. You know, I shared with you last week about where it talks about in Hebrews where the Word not being mixed with faith brings about no no blessing, no benefit in your life. There's a lot of people who come and can hear the preaching of the Word of God and yet they change not at all. Why? Because there was no, there was no true heart connection. There was no true relationship formed with the Word preached. There was no faith added to that. Therefore, it doesn't produce God's desired results. Serving God should not be the most difficult thing that we've ever tried to do in our life. And yet, many times, that's what we reduce it to. Why? Because we're not relating to God's Word properly. Because we've, you know, I mean, even Paul wrote this and he says, look, you can even confess or even profess to what? 
the gospel and yet deny the very power that could make you godly. So it's possible that you can call yourself a Christian and do all the right things and, you know, say all the right stuff and all those things and yet not actually tap into the grace that God has in your life. And this is what I found. Any time that I try to do anything, whether it be in my own heart or even something that I feel God's leading me to do and I'm doing it in my flesh and I'm not tapping into the grace of God in my life to do that thing, I'm instantly frustrated. Aggravated. Uh, I, I get very frustrated. I get very annoyed very easily. Why? Because I'm trying to do something that I'm not created in myself to do. God has created us to what? Be dependent upon Him. I mean, He's the gasoline that goes in the tank to make us run. I mean, if you ever tried to do something just in your own strength, your own ability, and just realizing, like, God, I need you. I mean, I, I have attempted to preach without really having God's grace in my life. It was terrible. Terrible. Maybe not for anybody. It was terrible for me. I just thought, dear Lord, I never want to do that again. It's just terrible. Why? Because I want to make sure that I'm tapping into the grace that's in my life. Well, there are graces that God has for you. Here's another word for the word grace. And you may not make this connection. It's the word anointing. There is an anointing on you. And now, I know sometimes we think, well, the anointing is just for people who preach. I believe that there's an anointing for you to be a dad. I believe there's an anointing for you to be a mom or a husband or a wife or, or whatever it may be. I mean, I believe even to the degree that I believe that there are people who are anointed to be like doctors and nurses. and they, I mean, you know, why? Because they, they, they want to help people. Now, I know since Adam ain't in here, I can say this because he would argue with no, he would. He always gives Matt a hard time. But I believe that there are people who are anointed for sales. They just they have an unusual ability to connect with people. I would say my dad is one of those. He's a salesman. My dad could talk to the brick wall and he would find a way to connect to it. I'm telling you, I, I mean, it's just I've seen it work time and time and time again where he has this unusual ability to just connect with a person face to face. Well, that's not just a gift in it, although it is, but there's also a grace in his life. There's an anointing in his life for that. And so don't shortchange yourself thinking, oh, well, I'm just this, or I don't have this situation, that situation, all those types of things. I mean, even in the next, uh, you know, as we're getting ready to. to uh, really step over here in the next few weeks into small groups. Some of you think, well, I have nothing to offer. No, you have something to offer. You just don't realize it. That's what I was talking about. There's actually an anointing in your life and you don't even recognize it at the moment. So you think, well, I'm just going to come and sit and not say anything. Well, but you could be stopping what God wants to do through you. And you may think, oh, man, I could. that just makes me nervous. Okay. So lean into God's grace and say, God... Help me. Help me get outside of myself. You know, because why? Because there is a grace in your life. And I believe that there is a lot, of more, a lot more of God's grace available to us than we realize. I believe it goes into... He meant God has desired and I believe has intended that His grace would touch every area of our life. Not just our spiritual life. Not just our relationship to Him, although it will... 
I believe it goes into every relationship, into every situation, into every circumstance. God's ability to what? To produce His desire in us. He didn't just tell us to go figure it out. Here's the owner manual. Good luck. You know, I, how many of you ever have, have bought something that you had to put together with an owner with a manual? Yeah. And it's frustrating, especially if you bought it from IKEA, because th- their pictures don't really match up to what you got, right? So it's kind of like I think this is the right thing. But how many of you ever had to put something together with somebody who had already put that particular item together? And it was much easier because they're like, oh, that goofy, yeah, that part doesn't actually go there. I know that's what it says, but it actually goes, oh, okay, well, that makes it a lot easier. Well, you have the Holy Spirit. You have the grace of God unlimited in our lives. And yet it matters, you know, but again, it comes back to what? It comes back to how do we get and how do we really tap into that grace through the word? It always comes back to the Word of God. And so, you know, is exactly what it says here is that this Word is, is effectually at work in you who believe. It says it's, it's exercising its superhuman power in those who adhere and trust and rely on it. And so I want to make a statement about this before we kind of get into some uh, more, a couple really want to contrast two things here. But when we properly relate, and let me say it this way, when we properly connect to God's Word, we properly connect or relate to Jesus. If you can't properly relate to the Word of God, I don't believe that you can properly relate or connect to Jesus. And if you can't connect to Jesus, you definitely can't connect to the grace of God that flows through Him. Uh, you know, and even to the point, I would say, if you're, if you're not connected to God's Word, it will affect your connection even with your Savior. And ultimately, that's what brings about uh, the grace in our life. If you want to know Jesus, get to know the Word. He, I mean, He's revealed through the Word. I mean, from Genesis to Revelation, he's, every, he's everywhere. Now, it might be in types and shadows and... In, Prophetic things, but you can find him everywhere. And there are even things hidden in the Old Testament that tell us about him. You know, and so there are things about that that we have to understand. And so God's word brings his grace into our lives. So the more the word we have, the more of Jesus that we have. The more of Jesus we have, the more grace we can have. I don't know about you, but I want more grace. Why? Because I need it. I mean, you may got it all figured out, but I don't. And I want God's grace. You know, I remember when I was um, really right at the end of my time in Kansas, I knew that the Lord was telling us to leave. And, you know, and obviously, you know, I learned a very valuable lesson in this. Um, is that uh, even during that season when I knew that the Lord was stirring all that, that, that there was something different, that I was always anointed to preach God's word. But the grace to be a youth pastor had left. So I could get up and preach. And God would move and God would do. But everything that had been easy for me to be a youth pastor. Things that just came so naturally to Things I didn't even think about were things. All of a sudden I had to think about. And, and so I'd say it this way. Everything that was so natural for so long. All of a sudden became a lot of hard work. And it began to frustrate me. Because I'm like why isn't it working? Because the grace to do that had changed. Not that the call of God on my life had changed, but the grace for that season had changed. You know, and I learned that 
in that moment. And it taught me a very valuable lesson. But even in that, it taught me how much I don't want to try to do what God has for me without his ability. Why? Because it just was frustrating. And it was aggravating. And I just, you know, there was no real joy in it anymore. See, grace brings about joy in what you do. It'll bring joy into your life. And so it's important that we engage in these things. Why? Because it affects our experience with God. So what I want to do tonight in the next few minutes, I want to show you two different um, situations, if you will, of how people related to Jesus and the fallout from their decisions. Because I believe that ultimately this matters. And I believe it also will, uh, and I believe they're pretty clear pictures even for us in in light of how we relate to God's Word. So turn with me over to uh, Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, these are both fairly familiar passages of Scripture, but I just want to point a few things out and then I'll get you out of here before the hurricane hits. (laughs) Or so they said. It's probably changed in the last hour, but uh, not too concerned about it. Mark chapter 6, verse 1. It says that Jesus left that part... Of the country, and he returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. So Jesus is going home. It says the next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogues, and many who heard him were amazed. It says they asked, Where did he get all of this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? So obviously, they have recognized Jesus as somebody. Somebody that they've not, isn't the norm. I'll say it that way. Because it says that they were amazed. They were blown away by what he was saying, by the power. You know, and they even said, where does he get all this wisdom? In other words, you teach differently than the the normal teachers. There's something different here to him. And so they recognized this. And then they even asked and said, where did he get the power to perform such miracles? So they're amazed. They're astonished. They're blown away. They're really being ministered to. All of these things are happening in this moment. But then verse 3 it says, and then they scoffed. They made fun of, of Jesus. And they began to say things like, he's just, the, he's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon and his sisters live right here among us. And it says, and they became deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Now let me just ask you a question. Now Jesus, obviously, is preaching the word of God. He has returned home to preach. Well, if he was full of grace and truth, as it says in John chapter 1, did Jesus not go there that day to give grace to those people? And yet, they responded in a way, even though they recognized the grace of God on him, they familiarized themselves with him to the point where they made the grace of God of absolutely no effect in their life in that moment. Just through being familiar. Why? Because they didn't properly relate to who Jesus was. They related to him on strictly a human level. They said, we know you. We know your family. We watched you run these streets. I don't care what wisdom you got. And I don't care what power you got. I refuse to believe because they began to be offended at the grace of God for them. Now, I know we all think, well, I would never do that. And yet we can all and probably have done that at a time or two. 
We've become offended by the very grace that God wanted to bring into our life. And because of that, it hinders the ability of that grace to actually produce what God wants in our life. They look to Jesus on a strictly natural level. Not recognizing the gift and the grace that was before them. It says that they were deeply offended and they refused to believe. It's not just that they were kind of nonchalant about it. They just said, nope, I'm not going to believe what he's saying. I'm not going to believe that he is who they say he is. That they have now roadblocked and built a wall and said, no way. They were offended and refused to believe. See, it goes from for really two levels here is that they go from being amazed. And the truth is, is that they couldn't deny that the grace of God was on Jesus. Why? Because he had wisdom and performed mighty works that are undeniable. Nobody talks like this. Nobody prays for the blind eyes that are open. No one prays for the deaf ears that are open. No one has, you know, laid hands upon sick people and seen it. I mean, they hear the stories and yet, so they couldn't deny what was happening. But because of their familiarity with who he was and because of his family, they lost the ability to receive the grace that God wanted to pour into their life. Because everywhere that Jesus went, what did he do? It says it over and over and over throughout the Gospels. He went about doing good and healing all. He went about doing good and healing all. That was Jesus' MO. He went about doing good and healing all. He did it time after time after time after time. So in this moment, Jesus is now hindered. That grace, that same ability that God's been doing everywhere else, God didn't just make the decision and say, Jesus, Jerusalem's just going to get skipped this time, or Nazareth is going to get skipped. They determined that they would not allow God's grace to work in their life as much as he wanted to. In verse 4, Jesus uh, tells them that a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his own relatives and his own people. And it says, and because of their unbelief, Jesus didn't make the decision that I don't want to do anything with them because they don't like me. Because they're not nice to me. It had nothing to do with Jesus or his thoughts. It had to do with their unbelief. Since he couldn't do any miracles among them. Except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. See, we started with them being amazed at Jesus. We ended with Jesus being amazed at them. They were amazed because they're like, man, there's nobody like him. And then he becomes amazed by their unbelief. Now, God wanted to do miracles in their midst. We know that because it says that Jesus couldn't do any miracles. God wanted to do the miraculous in their midst. But because they didn't properly relate to Jesus, they missed out on their miracle. See, if we don't properly relate or connect to God's word... We could miss out on a miracle. Not because God doesn't want to. Not because there's not grace in our life. Not because it's not God's will to do it. But because of a, of a disconnect, if you will. We can miss out on what God wants. 
I mean, we read this a moment ago over in uh, John chapter 1 verse 16. Is that grace upon grace. Jesus came to what? To bring uh, gracious blessings into our life. One on top of the other. And yet, if we disengage from the word or if we don't connect to it properly, we will forfeit what God wants to do in our life. I mean, you know, I mean, I could preach a message and you're like, oh, I've heard you teach on this before. Well, and this has nothing to do with me. I'm just using it as an example. It doesn't matter who it is. Somebody else could stand in this pulpit and you're like, nah, I know them. And yet the very thing that God wanted you to hear in that specific service, you may be deaf to because of familiarity. And they did what they were supposed to do. The grace of God made beyond them to do it. But because of your relationship to them or maybe however you want to say that, you missed out on the opportunity. Jesus actually said this to the entire city of Jerusalem. He says, I would have loved to have gathered your young like a mother hen. But you refused to recognize that this was your time of visitation. Jesus was saying, hey, you had an opportunity, but you refused that opportunity. Well, what about even to the word of God? Like, oh, I've read the Bible. I know what the Bible's got to say. How you relate to the word is how you'll relate to Jesus. You're like, well, if Jesus walked in this room, I would, I would treat him differently. I would say, no, you wouldn't. You might in that initial moment. But how you treat God's word. And let me say it this way. How you reverence God's word. Is how you would reverence Jesus standing here in the flesh. If Jesus lived in your house where you could see him every day. Just like you have the word in your house every day. You could become familiar with it. And then not properly relate to that Word that what? Could actually produce God's will and God's desire in your life. That grace, that equipping that God wanted to bring. See, God's desire was to come to Nazareth and to teach the truth of God's Word for grace to come so the miraculous could happen. And yet, because they didn't relate properly, they missed out on their moment. Now, it didn't stop Jesus at all. He went, kept doing what he was supposed to do. But they missed on what God had for them. So I'm going to read this next. I'm going to give you another example of this. Of somebody who got it right. Because obviously they didn't get it quite right. They became familiar and they missed out on God's grace. And their, their moment to receive what God had for them. So uh, over in Luke chapter 7. I'm going to read some of this out of Luke's account. And some of this out of Matthew's account. But this is the account of the Roman centurion. So start here in verse 1 of Luke 7. It says, When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people, he returned to Capernaum. It says, At that time, the highly valued slave of a Roman officer was sick and near death. It says, When the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respected Jewish leaders to ask him to come and to heal his slave. It says, So they earnestly begged Jesus to help the man. If anyone deserves your help, he does, they said, for he loves the Jews and even built a synagogue for us. So Jesus went with them. But just before they arrived at the house... The officer sent some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home. 
for I am not worthy of such an honor. See, he, he has a recognition here of who Jesus is. And because of his recognition of who Jesus is, he says, look, I'm not even worthy for you to come to my house. So in other words, what he's really saying to Jesus is, you're too important to come to my house. Now this is a, a Roman centurion. He has authority over all Jewish people. He has rank, in a sense, if you want to say it like that, above. And yet, he has just demoted himself and recognized who Jesus is. And he has brought himself under the authority of Christ, if you want to say it that way. Because he says, look, I'm not worthy. I mean, that's kind of military language even. I'm not worthy for you to come into my home. And he goes on in verse 7, he says, I'm not even worthy to come and meet with you. I mean, this guy is saying, look, I understand who you are, and I, I'm, I'm a nobody. That's not exactly, that's my version of it. I'm a nobody. But the man goes on in the second part of verse 7, he says, Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. Just say the word, and my servant will be healed. In verse 8 it goes on, he says, you know, I know this because I'm a, a man under authorities, and I have superior officers, and I have guys under me, and if I say go, they go, and if I say come, they come, if I say go do this, they do it, all those types of things. He says in verse 9, it says, uh, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Here's Jesus amazed again, except this time it's a good amazement. Last time it wasn't a very good amazement. Jesus was amazed at the previous group's unbelief. Amazed, astonished, bewildered. It's like, what's wrong with you people? And yet here, he's amazed and astonished at this man's faith. What was the difference? One group looked at Jesus as common. Just, we know him. Just a... Ordinary, everyday person. One individual here recognized him. Didn't treat him as just a normal guy. He recognized the gift of God, or you could say it this way. He recognized the grace of God. And he says, look, I'm not even worthy for you to come to my house. But because I understand authority, if you'll just speak the word. I don't even feel like I should come to meet you. Not because of you, but because of me. So if you'll just say it, and it says that Jesus was amazed. And he says, look, I tell you, I ain't seen faith like this in all of Israel. So let me say it this way. What this man's attitude and his, even his, um, his recognition, or let me say it this way. The way the man related to Jesus, Jesus called it faith. Well... Okay, so you ask the question, what in the previous context, what we were looking at, it says that they couldn't, that Jesus couldn't do any mighty works there because of their lack of faith. That says their unbelief, but that's a lack of faith. Well, here, Jesus does a mighty work because of the presence of faith. So, let me ask the question Could Jesus heal in both situations? Yes, there's a grace that brings about healing in our life. 
We have to properly relate to grace, applying our faith to the word that brings about that grace in our life. Does that make sense? I'm not losing you. I know that's kind of. But this man got his answer. Why? Because he properly related to Christ. He wasn't confused or questioning who Jesus was. The other group did. Even though the other group could see everything that was going on and they were amazed and astonished and blown away. Like, man, he's got such wisdom. He does all these mighty things. But they became offended and refused to believe. I mean, you know, it's possible to get offended at God and not really know it. It's possible. In your own heart. Get mad about something, get frustrated about something. You didn't that prayer or you know that, that prayer that you prayed may not have gotten answered the way you thought that it should or in the time that you thought, and so you can take offense to it. That's gonna affect God's grace in your life, God's ability in your life. And yet here we see this centurion. And yet he speaks because of what he says to Jesus. Now, it never says that Jesus ever even went to this guy's house. We have no... I mean, there's two accounts. Neither one says that Jesus says, well, I'm going to come to your house. It doesn't say that. But yet it does say that Jesus was amazed at the man's faith. His belief that Jesus would do what he said. Now, this man here is a Roman. At this time, he's outside of the covenant of God. And yet he's asking, in a sense, use this loosely, but he's asking God for a favor. He's saying, look, I know that I don't deserve this, but I understand authority. And because of his recognition of authority, he got exactly the thing that he asked for. Jesus even said in verse 10 of Matthew chapter 8, he says, when Jesus heard this about the man... His understanding of authority says he was amazed. He says, turning to those following him, he said, I tell you the truth that I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. And I tell you that many Gentiles will come from all over the world. So every non-Jewish person on the planet from the east to the west will sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. But many Israelites... Those whom the kingdom was prepared will be thrown into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then Jesus said to the Roman officer, Go back home because you believed it has happened. And his young servant was healed that same hour. See, Jesus here is even giving us a glimpse, which, I mean, we're looking at it in the rearview mirror, so it doesn't quite have the significance that it probably did to them. Because people, the Jewish people, believed that God was only sending them a Savior. It wasn't going to be available to the Gentiles. And yet here he says, that, and let me say it this way, is that many Gentiles will receive the grace of God, and yet many Jewish people that that grace was intended for will refuse it. And ultimately they'll be cast into hell. Why? Because it's not because, even because they refused God's grace. They, they refused in that moment. And so... You know, and so much of this, it really is, if you want to say it this way, it is kind of a mindset. It's, an, it's how you approach something. Is God's word just common? 
Is it just suggestions or is this God's manual, is this God's instructions to us on how we are to live, to follow in His Word so that His grace has full reign in our life? I don't want some of God's grace. I want all of God's grace in my life. I want to be fully equipped. Last week we looked at this in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. It talks about that every word, uh, you know, I can't remember exactly. I can't quote it at the moment. Let me think. All Scripture is inspired by God. It's good for teaching and reproof and correction. All these, Verse 17, that was verse 16, verse 17 says, So that the man of God can be complete and fully equipped to do the will of God. God sent His Word to fully equip us. Well, how does that fully equipping happen? It comes through grace. Well, Jesus is grace. He is the Word made flesh, dwelt among us. That's how we tap into that. And so it's our mindset many times and even our ability to connect to God's word that is in a sense the linchpin to seeing that grace work in our life. But it starts with our faith, our belief in God's word. That God, you said it, I believe it. I'm not going to back off and I'm not going to excuse anything other than what your word says for me. Because of this man's, this officer's uh, faith... Healing grace could come even on behalf of his servant. And so the same is true with us. Even as this man properly related to Jesus, we can also have that choice. We choose how we relate to God's word. And it makes a huge difference. If you want to have the the ability and the power of God operating in you and for you, through you, in your life, you're going to need grace. There's no way to do what God has for you outside of His grace. You'll just be very frustrated. You'll be very annoyed knowing that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And let me say it this way. If you ever find yourself in a spot where you're seemingly moving in the direction that God has for you. And yet you feel stuck in a rut. Like you're just spinning your wheels but no traction's being had. This is a good area to come and look at. Am I just trying to produce what I believe God has for me? In other words, am I just trying to do it in myself and not trusting in the grace of God to work in me and for me? Because God wants to. And so, you know, what I want you to hear is this, is that when we properly relate to God's word, which is how do you properly relate to God's word? With honor and with trust. Don't treat it casually. But also having faith, trust, understanding all that it can accomplish. That the word is what releases God's grace. Well, what is God's grace? It's everything that Christ is. That's God's grace for us. When we properly relate to the word of God, it releases God's grace into every area of our lives. And when you have God's grace, there's absolutely nothing that God has called you to do that you can't do. Nothing. Now, you can't, and even, although I'll say it this way, we can't do everything. Why? Because there's not grace on us to do everything. But, you can do everything that God has called you to do. Nothing would be impossible to you when the grace of God is on you to do that very thing. I mean, that's why even for us as a church, we've got to know who we are and what we do. Because there's lots of things that, I mean, we could do everything, but we really wouldn't be very effective. 
I would rather us be very targeted knowing what we're called to do and to go full force at that. You know, think of it this way. I would rather think of a, a shooting a rifle versus a shotgun. I'd rather be very targeted at what we do and make sure we hit the mark than to just be like, well, we're going to throw some stuff out there and hopefully we hit something. It's not very effective. I mean, you know, there's the old joke that shotguns are for people who can't shoot. You ever heard that? <laughs> it's just, you know, just shooting everywhere. What's true for us is that we've got to tap into what? The grace for us as a church. Why? Because that's where we're going to have maximum impact. The exact same thing is true for you. When you figure out where the grace of God is in in your life and you cooperate with that grace, you relate even to God's word properly, it's in that place that you're going to have maximum impact. And even when you're in that place because the grace of God is operating in you, that's also going to be the very place that you're going to find the greatest joy. Because God's grace always brings joy. And so I just want to challenge you and encourage you in this. This is just one of those little checkup things. How you relate to God's word is really kind of an indicator, if you will. Where's your heart? What's going on? Is this just like, oh, it's just another sermon. It's just another this. Just just another church service. Oh, it's just another small group. Or do you say, God, man, I I want you to work through me. I want you to, to move in me. You know, we were singing it earlier. I mean, the greatest change that God will ever do is not in our circumstances. It's in our hearts. It's in us. It's where we get molded and shaped by God's ability. But primarily, he's going to do that. Not always, but primarily, he's going to do it through his word. And his word brings truth, brings light. And there's the grace to bring about God's desired results in us. And that's the way God's word works. It produces God's desired results in us. And out of what he does in us, change will happen around us. You'll have wisdom and understanding and things that you may say something or think something. You're like, man, where'd that come from? The grace of God in your life. I mean, I see that happen in my life. I've seen it happen in many people's lives. Where it's like, man, I know them. But I see where God has, I'll say it this way, that they have stepped into the grace of God on their life. I mean, I remember when I first moved back to Shreveport. I'd been gone for nine or ten years. I had the luxury of being gone for a long time. And I could see people that I knew. And, but I could also look at them and, be, and recognize how much they had grown in the Lord. Because I hadn't been around. You know, it's kind of like when I take Max to see my parents. Every time my dad's like, man, he's getting tall. Well, I don't really notice it. Why? Because I'm with him all the time. I mean, every now and then, you know, I go pick him up or something. I'm like, good Lord, he's getting long, you know. But I don't recognize it so much. You know, there are people in our church who may be growing for years, and yet you don't even recognize their growth. They've been here all along. It'd be like Jesus. Like, oh, it's his own people. We, see, we even have to be careful of this in our relationships with one another in the church. Because sometimes it's hard for us to see what's happening on a weekly basis. And I'll say this. Don't get offended when people don't recognize your growth. Because some people still see me when I go home as a 15-year-old knucklehead. 
They don't recognize him. You know, I mean, I, I always kind of joke, cause, or I always thought it was kind of funny because uh, I, I preached one time on a Wednesday night when I first come back to Shreveport, and, you know, a lot of people just knew I had left, you know, but then I came back and preached, and they're like, man, you're not the kid I remembered. You know, which I took it as a compliment. I'm like, praise the Lord, you know. But see, we have to be careful even in what we're talking about. You know, like I'll just give you an example of this. And I'm, you know, he's not in here, so it doesn't matter. But sometimes I have Adam preach. Whether I'm gone, whatever it may be. But you could say, well, I know Adam. I've known Adam since he was whatever. And yet, because of your familiarity with him, you may not even be able to be ministered to by the grace in his life. Just because you know him. When we're in small groups, don't just check somebody off and be like, they ain't got nothing to teach me. Maybe they do. I actually had somebody tell me that when I became the pastor of the church. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Here's the good news. They're still in the church. And they didn't come and tell me that until a few months later. And they said that that was the thought. You're too young. You have nothing to teach me. He said, and, then, and the, the gentleman was telling me, he said, and you taught on mercy. He said, and I realized I had no mercy in my life. Well, I mean, even something like, well, you know, they're young. Oh, well, they're old. It goes both ways. Whether you're on whichever side of the scale you're on. So we have to be careful even how we relate to one another. Even in the body. Why? Because there may be a person who's a part of our body that God has put a grace in their life because we need it. And yet we could, by familiarity, miss out on the very thing that God wanted to do in us and for us. And so, you know, there's, there's lots of ways that this applies. It applies to God's word. It applies to our relationships one with another. Even as we're doing life together. I mean, I've always held to the, you know, I've always made this statement is I can learn from anybody. And I try to the best of my ability. I may not like you, but I can learn something. I'm going to find something. Why? Because I always want to have a teachable heart. I never want to just be hard and just be like, nope, 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 nope. And there are two ways to learn, by the way. What somebody does good and what somebody does bad. So it ain't just always, well, you know, they didn't do anything right. All right, so learn something. <laughs> like nothing worked. Yeah. Well, then maybe I need to learn something where well, they didn't do very well. I mean, some of the greatest lessons I've learned about leading people were watching other people make mistakes. And watching the fallout from it going... That really wasn't smart. They said this. They did that. This is how they handled it. They kind of lost their cool. I probably shouldn't lose my cool in that situation. And so you learn. And so you move forward. And even as, and especially even in light of Scripture. Man, you allow the, the Word of God to work. It'll bring about God's grace in your life. And you'll be better for it. The church will be better for it. And we will be better for it. Amen.